Hey everyone, back again. Today we're going to talk about Baudrillard and Deleuze and Guattari. So I'm doing this because the Baudrillard versus Foucault one was pretty popular, so I figured you'd want more of that kind of thing. So how I'm going to do this is I'm going to look at it in terms of Baudrillard contra Deleuze, specifically how they differ in terms of the simulacrum. And then from there, I'm going to move into discussing Baudrillard against Deleuze and uh, Guattari. Now, before jumping into that, if you want to uh, follow me, you can do that at Instagram, at theory underscore and underscore philosophy. If you want to see mostly pictures of my cats, uh, if you want to help me out, you can do that by sharing, liking, subscribing. That all helps a lot. If you want to help monetarily, you can do that via Patreon or PayPal, if you want. Obviously, no pressure. If you're listening to this in podcast form, you can find the YouTube version, which has video. Or if you're listening to this in the YouTube form, you can find um, the only the audio in podcast form wherever you get podcasts pretty much, and there shouldn't be any ads there. And if you go and do that, you know, leave me five stars, comment, you know, review. What That would all help me out a lot. Now, I don't want to waste any of your, more of your time. Let's get into this. Now, Baudrillard is not the only person to write on the simulacrum. Deleuze wrote about it quite a bit, and they have pretty conflicting ideas about what the simulacrum is. So out of the book, or at least in the appendix of Logic of Sense by Deleuze, there's an essay titled Plato and the Simulacrum, in which he makes a pretty interesting uh, argument about Plato's relationship to the simulacrum. But in it, he extracts or kind of develop his, develops his own approach to the simulacrum. And I'm gonna lay that out here and I'm going to then contrast it with how Baudrillard views it. So for Deleuze and Plato, he identifies that in Plato, that is Deleuze identifies in Plato, that there's a distinction to be made between the copy and the simulacrum. So the copy actually has some kind of connection to resemblance, whereas the simulacrum is essentially a copy without resemblance. So in Baudrillard's work, the idea of the simulacrum is a copy of a copy. Pretty simply, you know, the, the reproduction of something that is already reproduced. Whereas for Deleuze, it's not just a copy of a copy, but it is a copy of a copy that has lost resemblance to what might be the original thing, which is an interesting point of distinction. So in order to illustrate this, he gives the example of God creating humankind in its image. And this is, of course, an idea we've had for a long time, that humans are made in God's image. So they are, that is, humans are a copy of God in that way. Now they become simulacra for Deleuze as soon as they sin. And when they sin and they then move away from God in their likeness, that is, they move from, in his words, a moral attachment to the thing they're representing into an aesthetic one. So it becomes not about what the image stood for, but it becomes copying the image for the sake of the image itself, which is obviously opens up to a kind of what, what he calls uh, polyvocality. Now, as some of us may know, and I haven't done um, this text by Plato yet, nor have I done Derrida's interpretation of it yet, uh, but Plato had a pretty 
turbulent relationship with writing. He was very clear in his, in his own writing that writing is what would affect memory in a pretty bad way, yet he wrote everything he did down, so I don't know how you square that, but anyways. But writing is the first scene of, well, I guess in the case of God, you know, humans sinning would be the first scene. But Deleuze focuses on writing as a site for simulacrum, because writing opens up a certain polyvocality into newness that can become detached from its kind of previous instantiations or the thing it was meant to resemble. So in his words, in writing and simulation, it is connected to intensities that divide into one another while changing their form. So there is possibility opened up with the simulacrum. The simulacrum opens up a certain possibility. Now, Deleuze doesn't celebrate the simulacrum in that way because we might have the, you know, the impression, oh, great, deterritorialization, rhizomatic flows, oh, moving away from a so-called moral order in favor of an aesthetic one. Deleuze doesn't want us to immediately celebrate this. So moving from Plato and the simulacrum, from logic of sense, into Anti-Oedipus, now we get Deleuze and Guattari's interpretation of, of the simulacrum as a tool mobilized by the despot to code and to overcode the world. And this comes out for the despot in the form of writing that allows them to essentially deterritorialize the various codes of the pre, uh, I guess, primitive regime so as to give things meaning that they otherwise wouldn't have. So this is a kind of deterritorialization, even though it is overcoding. So the despot rips up the land, demarcates it, says, okay, this area is for that, that area is for that, you know, they put up borders and fences and whatever in order to code the world, but it is a coding that depended upon the, the ripping up of that world, the kind of deterritorialization of the world to instill new codes. So they do this with the aid of the simulacrum. So, and if you've listened to any of my episodes on A Thousand Plateaus, you'd know that they, that is Deleuze and Guattari, have a pretty ambiguous relationship to uh, deterritorialization. It isn't necessarily a good thing. It can be used in favor of despotic overcoding. So the simulacrum in that way is a lot more, I guess, for them, uh, isn't necessarily good, at least, you know, as it's connected to writing. Now for them, schizoanalysis is the process of uncovering the kind of flows that can be found within writing, within the simulacrum, that would otherwise, from the surface, look like they do not have such flows. So the example they give as the kind of preeminent, um, maybe I will just say final stage of the simulacrum is something like Oedipus, that comes to stand for virtually everything as a kind of territorial overcoding, but that you know came about surely through these various deterritorializations that they try to uncover throughout the course of anti-Oedipus. So on the surface for them, there's a kind of homogenous veneer to the simulacrum. While the task for them, and this comes out in schizoanalysis, is to uncover the flows, the kind of polyvocality, the heterogeneity underneath that homogenous veneer, that homogenous surface. So what does Baudrillard think? Baudrillard's the opposite. 
So in a lot of ways, they're very similar. That is uh, Deleuze and Baudrillard, very similar in terms of their approach to the simulacrum. For the most part, they both think that the simulacrum has always been on, uh, on the scene. Uh, the simulacrum is, they have a pretty ambiguous relationship to it. That is, you know, they both think it as a, could be a positive thing. Both think it as housing a certain potential to some extent. Both thinking that, uh, you know, there's still mystery within the simulacrum, but it's in the differentiation between what is immediately presented by the simulacrum and what exists underneath that I think, and I'm, uh, I should have prefaced this, this is just my own thoughts on this, um, and I love, can't wait to hear what people have to say, but for Baudrillard, instead of the surface of the simulacrum being a kind of homogenous sect and the underbelly being heterogeneous, Baudrillard says it's the opposite. It's actually reversed. Where in the age of the simulacrum for Baudrillard, you know, we think of advertising. We think of um, a kind of explosion of categories, an explosion of objects, an explosion of scenes, a kind of what he calls the kind of the obscenity of communication, of information that overwhelms us. And underneath it is not a kind of um, emancipatory heterogeneity. If anything, it's more, you know, reductive idea about reality. So this might explain one thing why, um, you know, many of us have a, a, a tendency to look upon technology as though it's like going to bring about our demise. And, you know, it's just about getting back to nature, you know, getting underneath the simulacrum to reality. Now, Baudrillard doesn't see that as a good as a good thing to do because he's very suspicious about what this reality actually is. It doesn't house a kind of liberatory potential to get through the simulacrum to what exists beneath it. Because that, you know, as we all know from simulacrum simulation, the simulacrum is that which hides that there's nothing beneath it. Like it is all there is. So it's in that way that they are different. Deleuze sees the potential to get to these kind of hidden heterogeneous underbelly where Baudrillard's a little bit more skeptical and he thinks for the most part and this is me that you have to work with the simulacrum to some extent not in a kind of like um, reformist way but it's about recognizing how within these kind of simulacral spaces um, there are still the remnants of enchantment mystery seduction that yeah if you want more on that I've done whole bunch of videos on Baudrillard. Now in terms of the political project, so now I want to compare not just Baudrillard and Deleuze, but Baudrillard and Deleuze and Guattari. Baudrillard is very suspicious of this attempt to deterritorialize, to embrace these kind of rhizomatic flows. Because for Baudrillard, he's like, well, that seems to really resemble, because he sees the simulacrum as a kind of uh, embracement, embracement, embracing of heterogeneity, he's like, that seems to really resemble the kind of a logic of this kind of postmodern logic of endless flows, obscenity, you know, just going wherever you want. In other words, just following the logic of late capitalism, like, you know, it's tendrils just carving through the earth. Baudrillard kind of levels this critique and he doesn't, he never had a whole book on it. And he doesn't really mention Deleuze all that much throughout all of his like 40 books, but in Forget Foucault, he talks about the way that Deleuze and Guattari seem to 
hinge a whole lot upon this kind of liberatory potential. And it is decidedly individualistic. Like it's all about emancipating your flows, uh, embracing your own lines of flight or whatever, in order to, you know, break from the rigid boundaries of, you know, these molar aggregates or whatever, these, these strata that limit people. And Baudrillard doesn't want to do that. And in response, or I guess in as a way of, to critique them, uh, he says that of the schizo, that they themselves are a pure screen, a pure absorption and resorption on the surface of the influent network. So he doesn't see a kind of liberatory potential there. If there is liberation associated with it, it's one that works in the favor of the system. That is a system that wants to bring everything on stage, to make everything visible, to allow things to move and flow that Baudrillard is very, very skeptical of. Additionally, Baudrillard says that Deleuze and Guattari hinge a whole lot upon production. So we think of it in terms of desiring production, you know, these kind of machinic movements that don't, um, don't move by corresponding to a, a want or need or by following that desire but instead their desire is in their wanting to produce and to make connections and, and flows between other machines. It's not a desire of lacking, or it's not because of lack that they open themselves up to this. It is because that is just what they're open to. That's what they have to be doing. Um, now, as early as The Mirror of Production, Baudrillard's fourth book in you know the late, the early 70s, The Mirror of Production, he identifies the same insistence in Marx, where he says, and I'm not quoting verbatim here, Marx hinges everything on production. For Marx, it's all about producing, making people more efficient, you know, getting to the use value of things so as to open up this kind of uh, true human potential. Where Baudrillard's like, what is that? What is this true human potential? And I believe the same could be extended to Deleuze and Guattari, where he pretty much says, like, what is this thing that you call, like, desiring production? It seems to be quite, um, you know, indicative of a certain movement of capitalist accumulation or capitalist production that, you know, you can't just dissociate the two as though it's a purely liberatory one. So it's, you know, I want to say that this isn't so much like what Baudrillard actually says, it's my interpretation of what he would say. And he would be very skeptical, worried that, you know, Deleuze and Guattari are leading us on a path that might not be quite as emancipatory as they suggest. And that's pretty well it. You know, if there's anything I should have said, anything more, I'd love to hear about it. Um, I like to pin comments that I find useful, you know, even if they're critical, uh, so that, you know, people can see them. But yeah, if you have anything more, I would love to hear about it. Um, and this is for Matt. I didn't show my showcase my uh, record collection today, but I have um, David Bowie's Let's, Let's Dance. It's mint stuff. But anyways, take care, everyone.